In this episode of Music Lesson Business Academy, I'm going to talk to Jeff Homer from Ensemble Music. Now, Jeff is the guy that has started a company that is going around and buying music schools. So there's a bunch of great information just about how they do it, what they're looking for, but also I think there's great actionable information that you can apply to your music school. So with that said, let's get into today's episode. This episode of Music Lesson Business Academy is brought to you by Musi.live, the ultimate music lesson management software. Have you tried teaching with the traditional conferencing platforms? If so, you've probably noticed these platforms lack the tools to conduct effective lessons. Musi.live was developed by music teachers for music teachers. It allows you to host high quality lessons with a full suite of tools developed specifically for you, the music teacher. Thousands of teachers in over 40 countries have already brought their studio to the next level with the help of Musi.live. So why not give it a try today? Two week free trials are available to all users at Musi.live. Once again, that's Musi.live. Jeff Homer, welcome to Music Lesson Business Academy, man. Thank you so much for taking some time out. It's a pleasure. No, I'm glad to be on the podcast. Lots of cool stuff happening here. So thanks for the time. Yeah. Before we started recording, when you were in the car there, we were chatting a little bit and I, I got a little bit of your, your background, but for the listeners, um, you know, I know you're located in Denver now, but, you know, give us a little bit of that, uh, you know, the dime store story of Jeff and how you got to uh, the place you're at now. Sure. Yeah, no, I'll start by fessing up to the fact that I'm, unlike most of your listeners, I'm not a professional caliber musician or music teacher. Um, <laughs> I've, been a, I've been a lifelong student of music. I did a bunch of years of piano lessons as a kid, and I did some years of drum lessons as an adult, and I was in my high school and college choir. So, you know, I've always loved music, and I feel like I have a strong appreciation for the value of music education and the impact that can have on your life, even if you achieve very modestly, which is, you know, the most that could be said about me. Um, but, but yeah, so my background is, is not professional music, which is, which is how I think about, you know, nine of 10 music business owners, you know, sure. get into to the, the business. I came into this, um, I was working in the, in the world of finance. I was, um, working for a family investment office. I was helping them, um, you know, invest their personal capital. And in, in, through that process, you know, I worked with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses to kind of help them grow. Um, Anyway, you sort of asked a little bit of my background. I bounced around. Or I bounced around a little bit. I, you know, I, I, I grew up in Canada. I moved to the states uh, for college. I, I, I went to school in Boston. I lived in New York City for a period of time, um, and I moved to Denver in 2018, which was a big upgrade to my quality of life. I, I was not the biggest fan of living in New York City, um, <laughs> even though there's lots of great things yeah, you know, yeah. offered there. Um, but I ended up with with also, you know, a, a lot more kind of work life balance. And, um, you know, one of the ways that I found to use that that newfound time is with more work. Uh, I felt like I needed some kind of side project or a bit of a side hustle to, to kind of, uh, you know, to sort of complete what I was doing. And um, I ended up buying a music school um, and 
it was just sort of this happy accident. Like I'd love to tell you that I sat down and thought, you know, about the whole world and, and picked, you know, music out of, out of, you know, all the possibilities, but it was just sort of a kind of dumb luck coincidence that I, I happened upon a music school that was for sale, you know, nearby where I lived. And, you know, like most music schools, it was founded by a really dynamic teacher uh, who had found other teachers like her and had built, you know, a really, a really fantastic environment for students and, and teachers and just a, a great community of, of music pedagogy and, and, uh, and learning. Um, and something that I also find, you know, is, is not uncommon about, uh, you know, music schools is there was not really somebody there with a business background, right? Everybody there was, was really strong on the pedagogy side not as strong on the systems and operations side. And so I felt like I had something to contribute there. Um, I also thought it'd be really kind of a very fun um, environment to be in, just a really positive place to spend time. And again, a place where I could have an impact on a community-based business. And so, yeah, I made the investment and um, just had so much fun with it that um, <laughs> it grew you know, really organically from there. And, and um, so, Today, Ensemble Music Schools is an owner and operator of, of 34 music schools around the country. We operate in about 13 states. And we sort of got there with the same, with sort of a larger version of the original idea that I had for the first school, which is that we should be able to provide behind the scenes back office support in a way that is largely invisible to students and parents, and which you know, significantly increases the operational efficacy of the school. So, you know, the, the way that I think about what we do at Ensemble is we handle all the behind the scenes sort of operational tasks so that our teachers can just focus on, you know, their students. And um, it's been a really good division of labor and it's led to us growing incredibly quickly over, over really yeah. just four years. You know, because my one of my first questions that I, I kind of wrote down for myself was, you know, why music schools? Yeah. You know, you come from a Harvard business background, you're working in finance. Um, you know, when, when you saw that first music school, was it in Denver area that yeah. you bought the first school? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. yeah. yeah. I mean, what about it looked like something that could turn into, you know, or did, or, or did you have that thought at that time at all, that this could turn into something, you know, bigger that you could turn into your full-time business? Yeah, I, at the time, I didn't really think it would grow to this size. I mean, this has been kind of an incredible journey. I'll, I'll, in terms of why it was attractive, I'll give you the emotional answer and the analytical yeah. answer. They're, they're <laughs> different, right? The emotional answer is I, I walked into the building and was just like, man, this just feels like a positive place to spend time. I mean, yeah. finance is a sterile world. You sit in these, you know, expensive offices <laughs> and you push numbers in spreadsheets. And, you know, it, there's... It, 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 there's a degree of unreality to, you know, investing hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, right? You know, nine and 10 figure sums of money that it, there's a degree of abstraction from the real world that, that makes it hard to see the cause and effect in terms of what you're doing every day. And, you know, here you walk in and it's a really positive place. There's kids coming in for their lessons. They're excited. The teachers are there. They're really positive. There's just all these, you know, there's all this positive energy around a music school. And so I, I walked in and I felt that and I, I wanted to be involved with that. I think from an analytical perspective, you know, I think music schools are really an underappreciated high quality business, right? So if you think about things that investors uh, value in companies, think about things like recurring revenue, high customer lifetime value, uh, you know, sticky, you know, long live customer relationships, you know, th those are really at the core of a music lesson business, right? You have these really strong relationships between students and teachers, your students, you know, will often stay enrolled for many years, the margins are, you know, generally pretty good, 
Um, and you, most schools use some version of a recurring revenue model where, you know, either you're on, you know, kind of month to month, uh, you know, first of the month auto bill or even semester to semester, the presumption is the student's going to stay enrolled. And that's really positive, right? If you think about like everyone's favorite, you know, SaaS businesses and, and business models, there's a lot of similarities between that and, and the music school, even though it's sort of disguised as an arts business. It's actually a really strong economic model that underlies the business. Interesting. So you get the first, you know, I was thinking about, you know, prior to, uh, in your intro there and you were talking about you had, you know, a little bit of a music background, but we're really working in the business background. Do you think it was part of that attraction was, you know, it going into that music school, it, it sort of was taking you into that other world of like the arts. And it's like, you know, it feels like maybe it's going to be less stressful or you know, a little bit more fun. You know, obviously you get into it as a business and you realize it's got plenty of stress, you know, like any other business. But it, it's interesting. Um, it, I was thinking about your story a little bit and it made me think about, you know, originally I was a musician growing up in Chicago, played music and everything. And then I kind of worked my way out of business, uh, you know, out of music, fell out of it for a while, went to work for a retail company, guitar center, you know, and 20 years later, I was still working there. You know, I had moved up the ranks of the company um, to, a, you know, district vice president, you know, retail um, position and was doing all that. But somewhere along those lines, I had that that pull, you know, like I got really into business. I loved being, a, you know, learning about it and, and and all the elements that went with it. But somewhere in there, I got that pull of wanting to go back into, you know, something like music and, and it, you know, something that, like you said, you walked in, it's a very positive environment. It gives you this good feeling. And, and I kind of had a similar thing that drew me back into music, playing music ultimately, but also starting the music school. So I, I, I find that to be kind of uh, an interesting parallel. How, you know, how long did you have this school? And um, when you just purchased the one school, what was your level of involvement in the school? You know, how much were you working in there? And uh, you know, were you day to day kind of really like learning the chops of sure. what's the ins and outs of that kind of business? Yeah, no, I, I learned a lot for sure. So, so my, you know, my involvement was, you know, I was generally coming from my day job up here to the school in the afternoons and evenings. And then, um, you know, this school in particular doesn't operate much on the weekend. So it was really kind of that, that evenings, uh, you know, that, yeah. that was my time. And I was, you know, don't tell anyone, but I was doing a lot of stuff from my desk too, of course. Right. So you can, that's, that's the beauty of a side hustle. It all looks like work, right? You look busy, uh, no matter what you're doing. Um, but yeah. So, so, you know, our tasks when we took over the school were, um, and, and, you know, I did this in partnership with a really fantastic general manager who came with the business, right? So there was a, an admin there. And I think, um, you know, it was, we were really fortunate. She's really strong and, and just kind of rose to the occasion and, and really seized on the opportunity to have a little bit more autonomy and a lot more responsibility. But we worked together to, you know, to, to, to start with the basics, right? When we bought the school, they were on pen and paper lesson schedule, right? So uh -huh. each week she was doing, you know, she was printing out paper schedules, distributing them to teachers, teachers taking attendance on paper, handing them back in, getting paid. So we went, you know, we, we went and started hunting down manual processes like that and started to, you know, to deploy software to get a bunch of her time back. And I think, you know, that was a really, uh, you know, positive experience for everyone because, it, you know, you're basically, 
you are lightening the administrative burden on everyone, right? So there's this upfront investment in getting onto the software and learning it, but then everyone realizes how much easier this is. And, um, you know, especially early on, you know, I, I was coming into the business, you know, from the outside, you know, putting up some of those really easy early wins helped to build my credibility and, you know, help people to trust that I was there for the right reasons and to do the right things. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we focused in the early days on, building systems for operations, like what I was mentioning, and then building systems for marketing, which was really not existent beyond word of mouth when, you know, when we took over the business. And so, um, you know, that was, that was how we spent the first few months. And, um, you know, I was probably spending 15 to 20 hours a week on it and, you know, had the benefit of a full-time admin that was, you know, gung-ho and, and really dove in to, to execute on some of the things that we, you know, came up with together. But, um, yeah, and 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 I was you know fortunate also that the the sellers the 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 two former owners you know stayed really involved in the business. They continued yeah. to teach. They were you know they were very generous with their time in terms of showing me the ropes of their business. They made the transition really smooth. Um, you know, so I got a lot of help for sure. Um, but you know, I was uh, you know from a a lot of what I was contributing was just knowledge from the outside world, right? Like you know, travels through other types of businesses, mm-hmm. you know, bringing back ideas about how we could apply some best practices from other industries to our business. And um, I think that was, that was the impact. That was the, the most significant impact that I was able to have. How big was that business when you purchased it? Yeah, it's about 250 weekly students, uh, about 400,000 of revenue. So, you know, like a, gotcha. a, a medium sized music school, right? right? So, yeah. you know, there was, you know, 16 or 17 teachers, uh, but not, you know, not one of the largest, you know, sure, have, sure. It, it, it's probably in the bottom half of our schools by revenue today, you know, gotcha. across our larger portfolio. What was then, you know, how long did you have that school and kind of what was the catalyst that made you start to think, you know, I should replicate this, this idea, this model here? Yeah, well, uh, you know, to be honest with you, it was only uh, about four and a half months later that we bought the second school. So okay. uh, I can't... Uh, we moved quickly, I guess yeah. is the only way to say that. But, you know, like I said, we got in there under the hood, realized that we were able to have, again, some of these sort of easy wins. Um, and we just started looking for a second, you know, a, a place to kind of test this uh, hypothesis, if you will, that there are many other music schools out there that are going to have this problem where the quality of the product and the quality of the operations are not in sync. Uh, meaning that the, mm. the, generally speaking, the product is excellent and the business operations are average to below. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the second school we bought was in Las Vegas, which is about a two hour flight from Denver and was designed deliberately to be kind of a test of whether I could run one of these things remotely. Right. So we were going to have software. I was going to have visibility into their, you know, key performance indicators, you know, via the dashboard. I was going to talk to the general manager most days on the phone. I was going to go out there once or twice a month, but you know, it was not, certain whether the thing would you know figuratively or literally burn down you know if i wasn't there you know on a regular basis um and uh yeah so so we decided to make that test and uh, it went really smoothly again you know inherited a really tenured you know capable general manager there that helped make that you know really smooth as well and um, i think that's when we were off to the races right when that when we did that and it went well um that's when in my mind this became you know, the vision for Ensemble as a consolidator and as a platform for operating schools, you know, really cemented. But, you know, it was like, it was in, in hindsight, it sounds absurd to have gone, you know, from, from zero schools to two schools in, in four and a half months, I guess, or five months. But um, we just had a lot of momentum and it felt, uh, it felt right. Now, is it 
are you running this thing by yourself? Uh, I mean, other, not necessarily, I know you have employees, but do you have a partner at all or was this just, just you? Sure. So, so, you know, happily we have, uh, you know, we have a corporate staff of about 14 people that, okay. that, uh, you know, does all so that, you know, so that those are all folks that do not work at a school. Right. So generally speaking, you know, our, our we have, you know, 650 teachers out in the field actually working with the students, you know, they're the real heroes of our business. That's who actually works with our, with our clients. Um, most of our schools are going to have one to three administrative staff, uh, you know, that they kind of complement and supplement them and, you know, handle that, you know, that student load kind of the, um, you know, facilitating interactions with, with parents and billing and, you know, scheduling and all that kind of stuff. And then we have the, we have a group of 15 people that work at, at, at the ensemble sort of shared services level. And they do all the behind the scenes stuff. So we have a three person marketing team. We have a three person HR recruiting team that does all of our teacher hiring. Um, we have a staff that's developed and dedicated to teacher professional development and community building. Um, you know, we obviously have a finance team and an operations team. And so, you know, one of the nice things about uh, about this model is, you know, a, a small business owner by by nature has to be kind of a jack of all trades, right? They have to wear sure. a lot of hats. They have to, you know, figure a lot of stuff out for themselves. And we're able to, you know, distribute those hats among our team to people that are specialists in those areas, right? So you know, you go from having, you know, one person who's running around trying to do the best job they can of being CFO of their business and also the marketing director and also the HR director and also, you know, all these things. And so, you know, we have actual, you know, people who have made it their life's work to tackle those, you know, those specialties that are now supporting our schools and, and giving them, you know, really great, uh, you know, really great resources. And um, yeah, so the, the kind of the the sort of replication of effort across schools is one of the things that make, makes our platform really successful because we can, you know, devise one Google ad strategy and use 90% of it at every school with a few, you know, local tweaks and that kind of stuff. And so, right, right. you know, we're able to really invest in in some of those strategies. And I think yeah. that's that's some of our secret sauce, right? Yeah, it, you're able to really leverage the bigger this gets, you're leveraging all those, all those tools and all those investments. Um, so... You're up to 34 schools across the United States. Have you bought anybody bought any schools in Canada yet? Or no, I haven't. Um, as a Canadian, <laughs> it's always on my mind. Um, I think you know the reality is there's only you know six. Well, let, let me back this up for a second. You know, one of our one of our goals is to have um, good regional clustering, right, of schools because that allows us to share a lot of resources from teachers to staffing to my personal travel to you know, all sorts of things are better when our schools are located close together. Um, gotcha. Okay. There, there are only like six cities of any consequence in Canada. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there are 45 of a similar size in the United States. So yeah. It's not much of an expansion of our target market for, you know, a significant increase in complexity from a currency perspective and other things like that. So gotcha. I think okay. someday we will, but, uh, you know, we'll hopefully have uh, really done a good job of, of building out our U.S. footprint before we'll need to do that. Where do you, do you kind of have a target goal of what you think you can achieve as far as number of locations in the U.S.? Or I, I do. I think, you know, our part of the reason why we've pursued growth so aggressively has been that the model is working. Um, we are able to provide more to each individual school than, than, they, than I think they are, you know, kind of sending back to us, right? So this isn't like a British empire colonial relationship where, you know, they plant, you know, sugar cane and, and we, you know, we, you know, bring it back to the mothership yeah. or whatever, you know, it, it's meant to be a very 
supportive relationship where the school and this and its students and teachers are better off for becoming part of the ensemble umbrella. And to, to date, that's been true. You know, I think we can confidently say that we've been able to, you know, grow the communities that we've acquired, provide, you know, really strong behind the scenes services, and that the student, parent, and teacher experience is at least as good or better as it was before we took over. Um, and I, I say that because it's really important to me as we grow that that continues to be the case, right? Um, and so to me, that interacts with our goal for how big we can ultimately be is if we get to a point where our growth is not serving our schools, you know, we'll have to stop and figure that out. Um, and so, you know, yes, I think it's it's certainly possible at the rate that we've gone and, and just the size of this country um, that we can get to, you know, 150 or 200 schools, but, um, you know, that will require building a really strong support infrastructure and making sure that those schools continue to benefit from being part of this platform. So when you guys purchase a school, the school is remaining whatever its current name is and kind of entity and is just working underneath the umbrella, being able to, you know, benefit from the support that you guys can offer on the back end. Do you think at some point is there going to be a rebranding where this becomes more of like, a you know, a national chain, a recognizable name or anything like that or? I strongly doubt it. I think okay. you know, one of the commitments that we try to make to folks that sell you know, music businesses to us is that we will take good care of, you know, this legacy that they've built. Gotcha. Um, I think, you know, most music business owners are really invested in the human beings that are part of their community. And, and just because, because they see them so much, you know, on such a recurring basis for so long, you have an opportunity to build those relationships and it's, it's generally really important. So you know, we're making a commitment to, you know, folks that sell their business to us, you know, sort of not to screw it up, right? There's, a, there's obviously a really good thing going and we're not trying to disrupt that. I think, you know, one of the ways, uh, one of the easy ways to uh, signal to a, a student or a parent that something is different and they should maybe, you know, stick their head up and be concerned about it is to change the name of the business, right? So um, I also think that people really value the idea that they're going to their neighborhood music school, right? Mm -hmm. This is a local kind of right. boutique business. Um so yeah, we we you know ensemble exists you know to serve to serve those schools. Um, it doesn't. It's not. Um, it, we make it a little bit hard on purpose for you know students and parents to figure out that uh, that they gotcha. go to an, uh, an ensemble music school because they don't care who I am. They really they right, really right. do not. They don't care about me at all. They care yeah. about their teacher. They care about their front desk staff. Um, and beyond that, you know, as long as we provide them with a good experience, that's what yeah. they're looking for. So. so in most cases, or maybe even all the cases, the owner operator is staying on board as a general manager or, or some, no, that, some taken. Common. It's, it has happened, but it's okay. rare. Um, so, so usually um, our, our, our ideal situation is, you know, some, we're, we're buying from a school owner who, for whatever reason, whether it's retirement, relocation, family planning, you know, change of career, is just looking to do something different with their time. And that individual okay. has ideally kind of taken one or two steps back from the business in preparation for that, right? Gotcha. So they have a front desk person that is going to stay on, right? So that's the general manager that's going to be, you know, consistent before and after. They're not teaching, you know, a ton, uh, the, uh, you know, of their own, uh, of their own students. Um, and, you know, so so we have had we have had sellers two or three that have stayed on to manage their business. It's been fun. We have had a, you know a larger number of sellers that have stayed on to teach. You know, very part time, which has been you know really positive, just to have them you know still involved and still in the business. Um, and we've had probably a majority of sellers that have you know sold to affect some kind of retirement and 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 did fully exit. Uh, gotcha. But you know, all, all of those are are you know 
they all work for us. It's okay. just a matter of kind of figuring out yeah, yeah. what's the right thing. So give us kind of in a nutshell, what are you looking for when you start to evaluate a school? Sure. So, uh, you know, I think we have kind of three guideposts in terms of, you know, schools that are going to be a cultural fit for us. Um, you know, first is uh, music schools where, you know, fun is a, is, a, is a kind of a first priority of the student experience. Um, so, you know, we don't, uh, we don't have any, uh, there are no rulers wrapping knuckles in any of our, in any of our <laughs> lesson rooms, so to speak. Um, so that doesn't preclude, you know, you know, schools that are serious and that have, you know, students that have real goals and need to be pushed towards some of those aspirations. But, uh, you know, fun is an important objective for us. Two is, you know, we're strong believers in an individualized approach to music education. So, you know, we don't generally buy schools that have tight, you know, rigid curricula where every student is kind of, you know, using the same model. Um, and third, that, that means that we, we need a professional faculty in place, right? So if you're not giving them the crutch of, you know, of, you know, follow this method, you know, the teacher needs to be really qualified to be able to guide a student on that journey, right? Recognize where they are, where they want to go, help them devise a plan to get there. Um, so those are kind of our three guideposts in terms of, you know, things we're looking for is, you know, positive, fun environments, individual approach to, mu to music education and professional faculty that are qualified to assist on that journey. Um, that leaves open a ton of room, right? The, 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 the goalposts are very far apart there in terms of, you know, we have a bunch of schools where, um, you know, we have a million six-year-olds that are having their first experience with music and it's got to be really fun and exciting and, you know, we hope to draw them in to, you know, schools where we send, you know, half a dozen kids to study music, you know, music in college uh, every year. Um, so, you know, there's a good, good amount of variety there. In terms of, you know, from a business perspective, you know, we also have a bit of a size criteria, right? So as we've grown, the size of the school that's going to be impactful as a member of our platform has changed. You know, so today we're probably in the, you know, kind of 250 to 300 student minimum. Um, so call it, you know, around four to $500,000 of revenue. Annual revenue is, is typically where we'll start considering okay. a school. Um, and, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what we look for. What, um, you know, one of the big, uh, you know, I'm kind of putting myself in, in your shoes a little bit and thinking about doing something like this. And one of the areas that I, I, I've continually talked about and harped upon, and I'm sure everyone gets sick of me talking about it, is I've, you know, have run my school with employee teachers for years now. And I'm a big advocate that that's really the only way that you should be doing it. How are you dealing with that? Is that something you look at when you look at these schools and, and has that presented any kind of challenge? Yeah. So, so to start with, I agree with you, right? I think um, the independent contractor model is coming under challenge from states that are looking to collect more UI premiums, particularly post pandemic, right? So mm -hmm. the contractor model is going to get tougher unless you live in the reddest of red states. Um, I also think there are significant benefits to retention from classifying your teachers as employees. Um, you know, we offer, um, we offer a limited, but in the context of our industry, very generous suite of benefits to our employee teachers, right? So we run a 401k program for our employee teachers. If they work over 30 hours a week, we're giving them health benefits. These are, these are things that are not common and that really improves our, our teacher retention. So I think there's, you know, small and easy things you can do even as a single, you know, as a single school owner to, you know, from an employee perspective that, that's helpful. That's right. um, that said, we buy schools with contractors all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, and I think this is, 
this is the blueprint I would use if I owned a single school that, that had contractors as well. We basically go, you know, we sit down, we look at, you know, what it would cost us to convert this, the, the teachers from contractors to employees. And we do one of two things, right? If we can live with that number, uh, you know, based on how the school is doing, um, you know, there's often cases where, you know, we buy from owners that have been, you know, relatively stingy with teacher pay. Um, you know, we'll just we'll just make the conversion and we'll tell people they're getting kind of a, an after tax raise. And, yeah. you know, congratulations. Um, and here's all the benefits. Um, in other cases where we think the teachers are fairly compensated to start with, we'll actually go and propose a pay rate adjustment. And we'll, we'll sit down with like, a, like an actual like spreadsheet and say, look, here's what you're getting now as a contractor. Here's how this looks as an employee. Here's why you're actually doing better after tax, you know, going from $35 an hour as a contractor to 32 as an employee. And, you know, we'll actually sit down with them and do that math. And, um, you know, so we, we've been very successful at getting yeah. teachers to switch, even yep. if we're lowering their, their headline pay rate by showing them that the arrangement is sort of economically equivalent and that they get benefits in terms of insurance and unemployment and, you know, like other benefits that we might be offering. And all that right, stuff. right. And so, yeah, I, I think most, you know, I talk to a lot of music school owners. They're obviously afraid of the t- of two things. One, what is it going to cost them? And number two, you know, are the teachers going to be okay with it or have an issue with it? And, you know, certainly each business is different. You got to figure out how you can manage the financial element of taking on the costs of employees. But in most cases, it seems like the teachers themselves prefer the employee um, status versus the contractor. Um, I, th- I think they want to be legit. You know, they'd re- much rather have that, you know, potential for unemployment if they need it and all the other, you know, elements that, that go with it. So. Yeah. And I, look, I think, I think if you just sit down, if you take an approach of kind of coaching the, the teacher through that transition, you know, most of them are going to have faith that you're doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yes, there's a, there's definitely a cost to it, but again, it can be mitigated by, um, you know, by, by changing pay rates if that's necessary. There's also a hidden cost, both in, uh, you know, dollars, but also in just a huge amount of time and angst from, you know, if you live in California or Massachusetts or New York, or, you know, some of these places, like the audit from your like UI state UI fund is coming. Like they will be knocking on your door. It's only a matter <laughs> of when. And at that, that kept point, me up for years. <laughs> you know, um, the, the amount of time that will take and the amount of kind of angst that that will that yeah. will generate it's just not worth it. It's you, yeah. It's going to be uh, hard to unsurvivable situation in, in so many cases. Um, you know, shifting gears a little bit, you're going into these music schools and, and, and hopefully, you know, this, this is something that can help the independent music school that's listening. You're going into these schools. What are the trends that you're seeing of things that are working well? And where are the consistent problems when you look at these different schools? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so in terms of things that are working well, you know, I think generally speaking, the student experience is fantastic, Right. Um, I think one of the challenges is that's true across our industry. So it's not really a differentiator, right? Most people love their music teacher. They love their music school. They're, you know, it's going to be hard to, to kind of win as a music school by differentiating yourself on that axis, particularly because most of our parents are not so sophisticated as to be able to, to know, you know, 
oh, this person went to, you know, this great sure, you know, sure. conservatory instead of this other one. And so I'm going to take my kid there. Um, I think, you know, for us, the things we see that are consistently underinvested in are systems um, and marketing, right? So um, maybe I'll take them in reverse order. You know, I think marketing is the easiest lever school owners have to, to grow. And one of the one of the muscles that that we can build to sort of to improve our commitment to marketing is to think about you know what is the value of a student right well you know if we if if we assume that you know a student pays us one hundred fifty dollars a month and you know we make a fifty percent margin so we're you know seventy five dollars of gross profit per month and the students with us I don't know let's pick a number two years on average right so they're with us twenty four months okay well that student's worth eighteen hundred dollars of gross profit right that's a that's a lot. Uh, that's a high value customer, right? I mean, when, you um, there's a lot of companies spending, you know, spending money on Instagram ads, trying to sell me an $80, you know, uh, you know, piece of clothing. Right. And so if we can get a conversion, it's going to, you know, we, our, our product is more than 20 times more valuable than that. And so that, that sort of lifetime value of customer to customer acquisition cost analysis is sort of fundamental to, developing a commitment to going out and having a marketing budget, right? Because there's no other parts of your business where you can spend a dollar on marketing and generate, you know, like a, I think a typical a typical student acquisition cost for us is about $150, right? Costs $150 in marketing spend to generate a student that's worth $1,800 over time. There are not a lot of other places in our business we can put in $1 and get out $12, right? Um, now that requires, you know, and this is the intimidating part, right? That requires figuring out how to spend the money and what's working and what's not, and you know, investing in Google ad strategies and potentially Facebook and Instagram strategies. And it, you know, it, it may require you know hiring outside experts, and those experts are going to come with a fixed cost, and you're right. not going to be able to know upfront whether it's going to work or not. But like, <laughs> those are not reasons not to try, right? Sure. Um, so you know, having kind of more of a willingness to experiment around this, um, you know, I think is really is really critical. And it's it's really the, the the highest return opportunity that exists in these businesses, right? So it's if if you know if any of your listeners are not uh, you know sort of have a marketing budget that is typical of schools we see, you know, thousand dollars a year. Well, how did we get there? Why are we spending a thousand dollars? Is that the right amount? You know, probably yeah. not. Um, and you know, I think there's lots of there's lots of upside there, and and um, uh, probably the easiest and most straightforward, you know, lever for us to pull when we, when we, when we buy a school that, you know, where the, the teachers aren't jam packed and the lesson rooms aren't jam jam packed, you know, we know we can fill that up by just, you know, deploying relatively vanilla marketing strategies. We're not, we're really not doing anything that's, that's especially fancy. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of commitment to, to operating systems and processes to, reduce the manual workload of running the business. Um, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, school owners really like to have to touch, you know, all the areas of their, of their business processes, because it gives them comfort that it's being done correctly. And, you know, nobody can do it as well as they can, but um, you know, we can really empower our staff to, you know, to do what we do 95% as well. Um, you know, by giving them tools and some systems and repeatable processes, uh, you know, to execute that. I think a lot of what we're, our goal is at the ensemble level is to make our general managers as successful as possible 
without assuming unusual competence or unusual care, you know, for the business mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. They, this is their job, right? It's not, it's not their baby necessarily. Right. But, you know, they, they care about the school and the students and we find that we can have them be very successful if we just give them the right tools. And um, I think a lot of school owners could free up a lot of time for themselves and a lot of, you know, kind of that mental load, um, you know, can be either automated or delegated. And there's, there's not a commitment to doing that because of a, desire to hold on. Right. And, um, you know, that, that will set you free, you know, that, that, that can give you a lot of freedom. Yeah. Jeff, if, uh, so if I'm a music school owner and I want to reach out to have you guys maybe take a look at my business, what, what should I do? I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question? If I'm a music school owner right now and I'm interested in reaching out to you guys to have a look, have you take a look and evaluate the school and see if it's something you're interested in, where can they contact you guys directly for that? Or, Of course. Yeah. So first of all, we'd be delighted to hear from school owners. I mean, I think um, you, it's always fun to to get to know somebody and hear about their journey. It's, it's always a really, it, you know, it, it's such a fun experience to hear about you know, this, this investment of 10 or 15 or 20 years that someone's made in building a business and a community. And um, I love hearing those stories. I think it's, it's really fun. Um, but, you know, we also, I think we can be a really um, desirable purchaser of, of, you know, of a music school, right? Where we're going to come in, we're going to safeguard that community. We're going to make sure that your, your legacy kind of stays intact. And, uh, you know, I think we'll also be able to, to grow and sustain the community for the future and make sure that, it, you know, it does survive. Uh, you know, long after, you know, you've exited uh, the business, if that's what you want to do. So, you know, we'd love to get the call. Um, you know, you can visit us at EnsembleSchools.com. Um, we have uh, some information there for school owners kind of that, that walks you through kind of what we're looking for, what the process looks like. And there's also, you know, links there to reach out to us and, and to get in touch. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to hear from people directly. My email is Jeff, J-E-F-F at EnsembleSchools.com. Um, I'm also, you know, I'm active on, on LinkedIn, uh, if people want to connect there. So, and, uh, there's a few, uh, you know, music business, Facebook groups that I'm also kind of part of too. So some people may have access to me there, but yeah, no, I I would, I would be delighted to hear from anybody that's, that's considering selling today or selling, you know, five years from now that wants to learn more about the process and what it can look like. Jeff, thanks so much for your time. It's really, really interesting. Um, and just the, the process and kind of the approach that you're taking to taking over these schools and, you know, really supporting the school moving forward. Um, it's, it's, it's really a cool thing. I really appreciate your time on the show here. Thanks so much for joining us today. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And um, I love what you're doing. I think it's, it's a, it's a really, it's a resource that the community really needs. So thanks for helping to put it. <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks so much.